This morning, what I would like to do is I would like to may, perhaps talk about, um, I will call it uh, the Jacob Beatitude. Now, if Jacob was, uh, if you were to add one of the Beatitudes, and I know that we don't do that, but if there was a Beatitude that would be associated with Jacob, it would be this. Blessed are those who limp because they will be blessed and bless others over the last two months. And we have learned a whole lot about him. He is kind of the, the grandson of Abraham, who is the main patriarch. And we realize that he, he both the, the Bible never hides the blemishes in people. So one great thing about the Bible, it doesn't hide those things. And, and we find out that Jacob, his name is a deceiver. He's a, a heel grabber. He'll do anything to pull himself above everybody else. And, and he just fights his way. And, and we see this, this line in him associated also with his family. And as he moves on, we kind of see it in his secondary family. And it seems like it all centers around this thing called the blessing. Now, if you've watched football and you've seen some previews of football, even if you're not someone who watches, you kind of have seen those times where in a football game, there's a fumble. And it, you would think it would be easy to pick up a fumble or pick up a football after a fumble, but sometimes it's not. One person dives on the ball, and the ball squirts up and it goes around, and, and all of a sudden you just see this, this mayhem that takes place because you can't get, out, can't get hold of the football. This seems to be the situation with a thing which is called the blessing. What exactly is this blessing? That's kind of an important question to ask, don't you think? And there are a lot of people who will do a better job than I will in trying to interpret what the blessing is. But as far as I can ascertain, it is the process by which God tries to give you the best in life. It is God proclaiming favor and fullness upon you. Doesn't that sound great? And when God does it, it's something. And it, it's one of those things that, that is so well sought after, but for some reason seems to be elusive. If you take a look in the book of Genesis, you'll see that God blesses the earth. He creates the earth, and then he blesses it. God creates the seventh day, and he blesses it so that we can rest on the seventh day. We particularly see it happen in Genesis chapter 12, uh, um, verses 2 and verses 3, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you. And it goes on to talk about how that blessing is going to proceed through the, through the line uh, uh, of, of his family. But the last thing it says, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. And so you see what happens is that God creates and then he blesses. But when God creates man, he blesses them. But the hope is from there for man to bless other people. That there is a, a process that takes place. And, and um, the expectation is for me to take the blessing and bless others. I become a conduit of the blessing. But many times that doesn't happen. Why not? Well, sometimes we become self-indulgent. Sometimes we say, I kind of would like to collect the blessing. I kind of would like to just celebrate and, and hold on to and increase the boundaries of my blessing. That was never, ever the way it was meant to be intended. Sometimes sin detours things. Sometimes sin eliminates it. 
Sometimes it distracts us. Sometimes Satan seeks to steal and to kill and destroy the blessing. Like that verse, the thief comes not before to steal and kill and destroy. It is talking about the fact that Jesus says, I come to bring life to the full. Kind of sounds like a blessing, doesn't it? And so you see this whole process. And this whole story of Jacob is the story of how God will go to huge lengths to bless us with life and fullness. He goes to great lengths to bless Jacob, and I believe he does the same for us. But here's the thing. As you've been reading the story, hopefully you've been coming along. If not, uh, check out the website. Check out the, uh, we have the, the live streams. Thanks for those people who are, who are um, joining us uh, live stream. There's, there's kind of a conflict in my heart here as I take a look at this. Because Jacob wants the blessing. And God promises the blessing. And so it would seem easy to me that this would happen. This transaction would be simple. But it's not. So what is the, what is the hubbub all about? Hubbub. Hubbub. That's a great name, eh? It's not a great word. That's the word for today. Hubbub. That's not a word. Yes, it is. You know how I know that's a word? Because I spelt it and spell check corrected it for me. That means it must be a name. Hubbub. H-U-B-B-U-B. It's almost like somebody stuttering. Hubbub. Anyway, sorry. I digress, folks. Sorry. Why is it if God wants to give a blessing and Jacob wants the blessing that it takes so long for something like that to happen? Because it took God to put Jacob in a place where he was able to receive it. And if the blessing was given at any time earlier, it would have just gone through. It would have been like a, a hole in his container for him to receive it. And, and Jacob was clueless on how to receive something that he wanted the most, this blessing. But when he does, it changes his life. And this is the story. This is the point. This is the kind of the, the, uh, the culmination of, of, of this time. And it's found in Genesis chapter 32. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you have your Bible apps with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter um, 32. And I'm going to be reading from verse 22 uh, to 31. This perhaps is the most popular passage read in the life of Jacob. It says this. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his, his two female servants and the eleven sons and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he, he sent them over, sent over all of his positions. Verse 24 says, And so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and, he, and wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for his daybreak. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. 
the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now, wave at me if you've kind of read that story before. You know, for most of us, you probably have read that story. Maybe you have asked a few questions. I always ask questions when I kind of come to this intersection of Scripture. Here he was, running from Laban and having to run towards Esau, his brother, who has 400 men coming down upon him. And if you uh, were here in the last couple of weeks, you find out that, that he's in a place where he can no longer run. He has no other strategies. He has no red stew. He has no goat hair suit that he can use to fool him. And so he's kind of stuck there. And he has a plan that he puts in place, and he has a prayer which is absolutely astounding. And the plan doesn't work, but the prayer does work. And so, it's an interesting thing to figure out how this happens. Here's one rendition. So what happens is Jacob stays on the other side, and some guy comes and ambushes him. Not only that, he attacks him for the rest of the night. And by, by the morning, what he does is he inflicts a huge injury on him, and then says he's going to leave. And then after that, he exposes him for the man he is. That could be one way that you actually read this passage of Scripture. But if you understand the character of God, it goes a little bit deeper, doesn't it? It kind of tells us some things. And, and if, if you could give me a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about four key things that happen here. And it is the process which God uses to put Jacob in a position to be blessed. And it's an important thing, and, and I'm not too sure if we go through all four of those processes, but I do know that all of us go through these processes. So it's important. I figure this. I've got four bullets. I'll probably hit you with at least one. I figure I'll be safe doing it that way. Well, let's kind of take a look. The first thing you need to look at is what I will call um, the involvement. The Do I have last week's PowerPoint there? I have last week's PowerPoint on there. Forget that. The first thing, the first thing that it says, the first thing it talks about is what I will call the involvement. It was the fact that God, because he loves us, um, interjects, becomes involved, involves himself with those people that he loves. Like I can imagine if you think of this story. In the middle of the night, they don't have the, the, the light pollution that we have today. When it gets dark, it's dark. And so what happens is... Some person in some way, and the scripture doesn't go into detail as to how it, it happens. We don't know whether he jumps on his back or approaches him or whatever the situation. But what happens is a struggle ensues. And I can imagine Jacob's thoughts at this particular time. Is this guy a thief? Well, no. If he was a thief, he would have just stabbed me, taken my money, and gone. Is it Esau? Well, Esau has 400 more people doesn't make sense to me that Esau would be fighting me when the, he has so many other people in the game, so to speak. So if, if he's not fighting me, 
to steal from me, if he's not fighting me to, um, to kill me, why is he fighting with me? It almost seems like he is, he is fighting me just for the sake of the fight. The, the, the point is the wrestle itself. And so all of a sudden he begins to wrestle with this angel. To wrestle with God. And I'll just say this. I'll just throw this out at this time. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, chances are you have an idea of what it means to wrestle with God. There has probably been something that has happened in your life that you know shouldn't be there, but for some reason you still want to hang on to it. You still want to control or still want to maintain your independence, and, and, um, and, and God has the opportunity to just strip it from you, to just take it from you. But he does it. He gives you the free will. He wants you to be able to surrender that thing. But what he ends up doing is he just continues to work on us. He continues to take different angles. And he realizes that the, the direction that you're going is probably not going to be the one where you will receive the greatest blessing in your life. And so what he does is he begins to push you and he begins to pull you and sometimes it's not comfortable but he wants the best for you and so a wrestling match comes and and we wrestle over things and we wrestle over attitudes and we wrestle over lifestyles and we wrestle over relationships we wrestle over pride none of us have pride well none of us have pride that we see many times God will wrestle us over the pride that we all know is there but we don't show anybody else he wrestles us over a whole bunch of things, things that are so embedded in us that we have trouble seeing them. It's been there for so long that it's kind of part of the, the frontier, the landscape of our life, and, and it shouldn't be there. But God all of a sudden comes and says, hey, what about that? God, I want to keep that. God, I, I... And so what happens is we begin to wrestle. And the scripture says that he wrestled with him a long time till daybreak. That's a pretty long time, don't you think? Do you know how much a professional, like, like an Olympic wrestling match, I'm not talking WWF where there's turnbuckles and people jumping and all kinds of crazy stuff happening. I'm talking about the Olympic, the Olympic wrestling. You know how long an Olympic wrestling match lasts? Seven minutes. One round is three minutes, and then two two-minute rounds. At least that's what my studies have shown me. There might be some wrestlers in here who say, that's not true, I'm going to wrestle you. No, please don't. Um, and the thing is, if you watch the Olympics and you watch a wrestling match, they are exhausted after seven minutes. After seven minutes of exerting muscles and pushing and pulling and, and, and combat like that, it is absolutely exhausted. And it says that he wrestles with him all night. And I'll say this, I think that we can relate to this. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what is the wrestle that's happening in our life? What are those areas, what are those articles, what are those attitudes that hold you back, but you still insist on keeping and controlling? What is the wrestle? If you're here and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you're here and you're new to faith, and 
you want to know a little bit more, and you're at that point where you're actually considering giving your heart to Jesus, I think the first great wrestle that happens is that part of you that says, you know what, I'm my own person, but where I'm going isn't a good place. I know that there's sin in my life, and I know that God can forgive that sin and give me life, but there's this thing that holds me back. First greatest wrestle you have spiritually is the one to ask Jesus into your heart. My hope is that you'll do that. If you're listening online, my hope is that you will do that. To give him your heart. To pray that prayer that says, God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. But I'm asking that you forgive my sins because you died on the cross for me. There's, there's what is called the, um, the involvement. It's back. What happened? A miracle took place. That's in verse 24. There's another thing. The other thing is called in verse 25, the injury. And so this is the one that really kind of bothers a little, us a little bit. And, and this is what it says, verse 25 says. When he, that he could not power, overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched uh, as he wrestled with the man. It literally, he separates his hip. And this is a pain that happens intensely over a long period of time. And it's hard enough to accept um, the fact that sometimes bad things happen to us. But in this particular situation, it almost seems like God is the one who is inflicting that pain. And sometimes we have problems with that. That's kind of a bit of a blow to our theology, don't you think? And, and this is the kind of story that rains on our God parade. And, and, and we say, this just doesn't say, take, make sense. And, and folks, it is a serious injury. Have you ever dislocated your finger? Something small like that? I remember in my football playing days... That's my Heisman post, football playing days. I went to tackle a guy, and I landed, and the person who I was supposed to tackle landed like this. And you know how your arm bends this way? It bent that way. Like it bent the, the exact opposite way. And people say, I'll be honest with you, Pastor Mike, did you swear? No, I didn't. I was in so much pain. All I was doing was yelling and screaming. It was absolutely terrible. They flipped me over. They got it back in the, in the, uh, the socket. And I think I had a, a cast on, a big, huge cast on for, for uh, I don't know, a month or two months. I, I can't remember right now, but I still remember the pain. And um, location injury. But you can certainly relate to injury. Because sometimes things hurt and it's not even a physical injury. Sometimes it, it is much worse. It doesn't have to be physical. It can be a painful, traumatic episode. Hey, it could be a car accident. It could be abuse that you, you experienced in any way, physical, sexual, mental abuse. It could be that excruciating trial that you're going through, that betrayal, that death of a loved one, that disability that everybody knows about, that humiliation that has taken place, that thing that has kept you back all the time, that relationship problem, that family challenge, that tragedy, whatever it is, we know about injury. The Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians talks about injury. He says, I have this injury, this, this thorn in the flesh, and God never, ever takes it away. And it appears as well that this is what happens to Jacob, that he's injured. But as you look closely, this is the most important life-changing time in Jacob's life. It ended up to be a permanent thing. He walked with a limp the rest of his life. 
And, and like this injury, this permanent injury, especially one that God gives, uh, is uncomfortable subject. And, and I hate to bring it up, but it's an important thing for our faith. The question is, what is the limp that renders you powerless before God? I think everybody here walks with a limp in some form. You know, how do you deal with your limp? Do you acknowledge it? Do you despise it? Do you deny it? Do you get embittered by it? Do you get embarrassed by it? But the story here seems to indicate that the blessing is tied to this limp. It just seems, it seems surprising to me if you bring it. Have you ever considered that the best thing that has happened to you may possibly be the worst thing that has happened to you? That you wouldn't be the person that you are if you didn't go through what you have gone through. That you wouldn't be as close to go through that, that terrible thing that remains in your life. So let me tell you, I've never really ever met a person who has enjoyed the limp. You know, it runs interference with that perfect picture that we have of ourselves. It reveals that we're limited, that we're vulnerable, that we're dependent, that we're human. That it creates a humility in us for God to move. And it takes away the self-dependency that we have and allows God to do something. What if the blessing is the injury? What if the blessing is the injury? What is God dislocated in your life that he chooses to bless you with? I don't know if we grasp this really well. You don't grasp this if you see life within the confines of this life. I think this doesn't make sense to you. If you say, okay, as soon as I die, it's over for me. But if you were to have um, a day in heaven, if God were to allow you to stay a day in heaven, and you were to see the glory, and you were to see what the plan was, and all the things that were going on, and all of a sudden you land back on earth, you would have a prayer that says this, God, do whatever it takes in my life to draw me as close to you as I possibly can. The injury. One verse later, there's a thing which I will call the insistence. And the insistence is the fact that despite all this happens, Jacob holds on. There's something you need to know about this story. It talks about the man of God. It talks about the angel of God or an angel of God. The fact is, most commentators believe that this is the angel of God. Like this is, this is um, the second member of the Trinity. This is Jesus before he was incarnate in the New Testament. This was something that he had did. He, he, he wrestled with, with Jacob. Well, why is that so important? It's so important because the scriptures indicate that you can't physically see God and live. And so what happens is this angel fights with him in the night. So he doesn't see him. But what happens is daylight let me go. Why does he have to let him go? Because if he doesn't let him go, he's going to die. That's the situation that is taking place. And so, so there's, there's like this thing taking place, this insistence which is, which is, is, is happening and the reason that he is clinging, let me just say this. The reason that he is clinging is not because he is strong. The reason that he is clinging is because he is weak. And what happens is the limp leads to the cling, and the cling leads to the blessing. And if you look at the life of Jacob, 
if, if there's any one good thing, if there's any one redeeming thing about the life of Jacob is that he knew how to hang on to God. That's the only thing that we, we understand, the only good thing that Scripture really talks about. And if you take a look at that, he hung on to God, and although this is true, I think we miss something completely in this, that the stubbornness that Jacob had was not a stubborn endurance, but it was a surrendered endurance. Well, what does that mean, and why, why is that important? Well, the reason that things go so well for Jacob is not because he endured and had victory, but it was because he surrendered and God was able to give him victory. It wasn't that he came to the end of the battle, it was the fact that he came to the end of himself. And the difference is, if you, if you end with an endurance which is stubborn, at the end of the day, the lesson is this. If I can hold on as long as I can, then I can get everything I want. And it doesn't really matter if God is there, that the, that the Savior is the endurance. But that's not the case here. He hung on. He was wrestling all night in a sport that is normally lasting seven minutes. So I would imagine after four hours, we'll say, he would be at the end of his, of his exhaustion. His gas would be at a very minimal spot. You're struggling with a person that's stronger than you. On top of that, you become seriously hurt. You become so seriously hurt that you cannot do anything. Your, your, hip, your, your hip is dislocated that. And then on top of that, at your greatest point of fatigue, at your greatest time of hurt, God says this, I'm sorry, but I have to go. That's what he says. That's what the scripture talks about. And what Jacob says is this. In desperation, God, I have nothing left. It's not a guy who's holding on with strength. He's a guy who's holding on out of weakness. There's nothing there. And he could have said, if that's the way you are, God, get lost. I don't want anything to do with it. That's not what he did. And then he says this, oh, God, let me die. If that's the case, just let me die. Because all I can do right now is hold on to you, and I'm choosing to hold on to you. And that was the point when he came to the end of himself where God was able to move in his life. And what's easy at this point to interject yourself in this because you have wrestled and you have been injured and then somehow in the whole process, God says, I'm sorry, I've got something else to do, I'm leaving. And you're saying, what? We can't do that, God. You can't, you, you can't do this. Listen, my child is sick, God. I've got nothing left. There's no answers for them. And here you are saying you're leaving, and instead of saying, God, forget it, i got nothing to do with you, you still hang on to God. God, I just lost my job. God, my marriage is in ruins. It's in shambles. God, I've lost everything. God, I've got cancer. God, I'm confused about my identity. God, I'm all alone. And in the process of this, and I feel like you've kind of walked out the back door, God, I'm still going to hold on to you. If you are in that spot, you are so close to the blessing that you don't even know it. There's something about the insistence. Jacob spent his whole line, whole life, butting into line for a blessing, conniving, contriving, self, the point of abandonment that God was able 
to move. Man, that's a huge lesson for us. Because I know for a fact that there are people, the insistence. Last one's the inquiry. <laughs> all of a sudden, Jesus, uh, the, all of a sudden, God says to him, what is your name? Well, I don't know if Jacob wanted to answer. And if it was God, he knew what his name was anyways. Why are you asking me when you know what my name is? But the very first time in Scripture, this is the only time, I think, in Scripture where Jacob actually utters his own name. And let's remember what it means. What is your name? Deceiver, heel grabber, conniver, deceiver. He realized. He's kind of like a guy before the journey saying, God, I'm guilty. God, I butt in line trying to get whatever I wanted. I concede. And, and I'll just tell you right now that I am guilty. And God says this. That's what your given name is. But this is who you really are. You are Israel. You are one who strives with God. Actually, there's a play on words here. The, the word, he who strives with God is, 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 uh, is Ramel. But Israel actually means God wrestles. It's kind of interesting because that's the whole point. I'm going to call you this because I finally wrestled you to the point in love where I can actually do something with you. I guess the last question for us is this. What's your name? What is the indictment that's going on in your life? What is that, that one thing that your parents have told you that you were? What is that one thing that society has told you that you are? What is that thing that you have somehow, that lie that you believe that says that you are? Is that what God says that you are? I think God is in the process of changing our name. I think God has something great in store for those people who surrender their life to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, any man being Christ, he is a, a new creation. Those things that were passed away are now become new. Hmm. It's not what is your name, but who do I say you are? Verse 29 goes on to say that God blesses him. Um, if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, you hear Jacob in, in the, the hall of faith, that, that passage of scripture where it talks about faith of, of, of the forefathers, and, and he's in there. But it doesn't talk about the exploits. It says this, by faith Jacob blesses Joseph's kids. It goes on to talk about in, in Genesis how he blesses his whole family. Isaac, his father before him, only wanted to bless one person. And so all of a sudden you see a change in this, this man and, and scripture goes and details that the aspect of his faith was the, was the fact that he was able to bless other people. And that's the secret of blessing. Not to hoard it, not to make your realm a blessing bigger, but to utilize the blessing that God has given you to be able to bless other people. And it's a powerful thing when God is in the process of changing our lives. I can't help but think of, of um, John Newton. Um, lived a couple hundred years ago, and uh, his mom died, and his, his dad raised him from a distance and he became bitter and he became angry and he, he ends up getting into the sailing business and he becomes a, becomes a merchant on a slave trading 
uh, ship and, and, and there was a, an article that was talking about him <laughs> and it talked about the captain of his, his ship admonished him several times for not only using the worst words the captain had ever heard but, pre- but creating new ones to exceed the limits of verbal debauchery. That's what they say about him. The swear words that they had around weren't enough for him. He invented new swear words. So talk about this guy. On that same ship that this captain was, a, a opposing hurricane wind comes and he is stuck. He's tied himself to the ship and, and eventually cries out to God and says, God, you should do something. Eventually gets the courage to steer the ship to safety. And the long story goes on that he becomes a pastor in the church. And he becomes a poet. And God blesses his ministry. And one particular time, he takes a pen and he writes this hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Process of God moving who we are and blessing us so that we, in turn, can be a blessing to those people around us. Man, this sermon hit me so many different ways. I don't know how it hits you. Maybe you're here and God is wrestling with you over something. Maybe you're here and you have a limp and you despise that limp. And you're trying to figure it all out. And maybe the fact that God is revealing to you that it is the one thing that draws you close to him. Or maybe God is desiring to change your name. Or maybe God is trying to make you the conduit to bless others. Or maybe you've been talking about hanging on and you've hung on and hung on. And you would admit this morning. I've hung on for so long, but pastor, to be honest with you, I don't know how much longer I can hold on. If that's you, I'll just say this. I believe that you're close to the blessing. That's the times when God moves. Amen? Father, I pray that you will move in a powerful way. And I pray that you will move in a way that I can never, ever see happen. Like We're at a time now where I just pray that you will allow me to use the words that will speak to the hearts of people. But then at this point, this is where you take over, God. And I pray, God, that you will move in people's hearts and people's lives. And and Lord, I just open up this altar to you for those people who just want to spend time. But Lord, there might be people who will just stay back in their chair and listen to the worship after. There will be people who will sit in their chair, in their car or their truck. And as they drive home, God will be speaking to their hearts. And for those people who don't know Jesus, I pray that they will come to know you. I pray, God, that you will do a powerful thing. Lord, I pray that you will have your way. Holy Spirit, Lord, I just pray that you will release your power upon this place. Begin to speak to hearts and lives, O God. Allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to minister deeply in us, O God. We need you. We need your power. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, God, I pray that you move. Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.